Hello, and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legends of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori, and we have a, a special interview today with the cast of our associated uh, actual play podcast, Fortune and Strife. We have Robert Falkinson, who is our GM. So, hi, Robert. Hello there. I'm also known as uh, Bayushi Shinichi on the Discord. Right. And uh, we have Tyler Denning. He is playing Akoto Ricci. So, hi, Tyler. Hey, yeah, and uh, on here, I'm also known as uh, Sasai no Shiba Verhoteki on the Discord. So just uh, if you see me, say hi. Right. And then um, I'm on Fortune and Strife 2 playing Doji Gen. So we will talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about some news. Yep. We've got two articles on the Edge website to do with the upcoming Writ of the Wilds. So one is on the Dragonfly the minor clan that is being introduced to us for 5e in this supplement. And mostly it's it's much the same. So the dragonfly are in the role of the gatekeepers of the dragon with a specialized role of stalling people for as long as possible without making them angry, or at least angrier than they're going to be. We have a little bit of a flavor snippet which indicates that uh, you can wait... For more than a year, and that's not all that uncommon to get through the dragonfly. There's one school in the uh, Rid of the Wilds for the dragonfly. It looks like it's a courtier Shigenja hybrid uh, that focuses on using air to charm with a school called Grace of the Spirits. Um, you can, of course, make up your own schools using the rules that are found in Path of Waves, but uh they have just one school. I think that's probably a good idea for minor clans. Mm. Although uh, we've had a few with more than one thus far. But. Eh, well. <laughs> there are also some new advantages and disadvantages. So there's Knowledgeable Wilderness Guide, for example. And uh, there's a Samurai Heritage Table as well. Mm-hmm. There's also some new titles. There's An Awakened Soul, um, A Forester, a temple abbot, and a yokai hunter. So some of those sound like very good PC titles. Uh, And some of those titles have uh, specialized uh, techniques, like uh, one called Trance of Past past Lives. It's a rank four ritual that allows you to see your past lives. Mm. I would assume that that matches the fact that we're going to be dealing with the Takashi and that seems to be Potentially, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have new mechanics in terms of illness and disease. I'm going to be very interested to see what those are like because very often in role-playing games, their diseases and their illnesses are, shall we say, completely bonkers. <laughs> and it's going to be, yeah, I, I want to see what it's going to be like. We'll, we'll looking forward to that one. Uh, Tyler or Robert, do any of either of you have anything you're looking forward to regarding the dragonfly or any of that? <laughs> Mostly for me, it's learning more about how they're how they fit into the new. I guess I don't want to say new lore, but how they fit into the current standing of Rokugan, and just seeing how the minor clans interact with each other and with the other major clans is really fascinating to me. Yeah, one worry that I would have with the dragonfly uh, 
kind of uh, with the just the way that the dragon are portrayed anyways is very isolationist is with the idea that uh, you could be waiting an entire year to get an audience uh, with the Miramoto Togashi or whatever have you that uh, it could it could again lead to a uh, perception that uh, dragon characters are you know difficult to include in the rest of Rokugan in a lot of ways and the dragonfly kind of being a gatekeeper to these uh isolate this is kind of this isolationist faction um kind of could could lead to them being almost seen as more withdrawn uh than they already are in some ways i mean that that was the status quo in the old times so it doesn't seem all that much different um i i always feel that that a lot of these things like you know it's not no, not unknown for people to wait for a year well those people are not player characters Player characters do all sorts of weird things, you know, like Togashi incredibly rare. Oh, look, we've got five in this one party. But yes, yeah, I, I can see how that can be an issue. Like how, how are, what does that mean for how the dragon should be portrayed elsewhere in the game? Like, you know. How do you make them all, all twisty in every other clan's politics? Good questions. We'll have to wait and find out. So I'm I'm looking forward to the the illness and disease mechanic myself because I think that there's been uh, there's a lot of stories about that in folklore. Um, so you know I, I, this lets us bring some more of those stories out. There is another article on Rid of the Wild called Secret Empire. And it, it's a more broad article. It just talks overall about how Rid of the Wild will feature the Tagashi and Miramoto, Gasha and Kitsuki with their traditions and their religious and spiritual schools of thought and their roles. Um, I, I hope that it's not too focused only on the religious aspect of them because there's only so much of that you could play. Um, but we shall find out. Yeah. There's also going to be some locations. So, for example, we have named the Refuge of Three Sisters. I'm going to say that again because I got it wrong. <laughs> the Refuge of the Three Sisters, Iron Mountain Dojo, Serpent's Town Mine, and Keen Eyes Strike Village. <laughs> some of those I've heard of before, but not all of them. So, There's some guidance in there on how to create monastic orders. Should you need to make a monastic order? And one which I think could be really quite far-reaching is guidance for adding the elemental imbalance into the empire and how to incorporate that in campaigns. Because the elemental imbalance has some, has been mentioned pretty much right from the word go from the new edition of Legend of the Five Rings. And it's a, a great big thing. It may or may not be the reason why there was a tsunami. It may or may not be related to shenanigans in the shadowlands but this is really the first time we've seen a hint that we may actually learn something about what's going on and how to use it and how to actually put it into the campaign so this could be a very important piece of law piece of information for people running a game certainly there's also going to be builds mechanically for naga nizumi tengu and two Yabanjin groups. So there's the Laughing Mountain Tribe and the Woolen Hooves Tribe, which I have to say, I, I like the name of the Woolen Hooves Tribe. Woolen Hooves. They're going to be they're going to be one of those crazy knitting people, like an entire village. You know those people who carry bags of knitting around with them at all times. 
That's going to be that. There's going to be a whole tribe of them. I, I think I'm related to some of those. <laughs> they're, they're perfectly lovely people, but they're... They will attack you by giving you a sweater. <laughs> yes. That's why the Kai, that's why the, um, the, the um, Kaito left. Didn't have anywhere to put the sweaters. Robert, Tyler, is there anything in there that sounds good in terms of like um, non, non-human races? Oh, well, non-human races will be will be interesting, but I think the uh, elemental imbalance guidance and possible mechanics will be uh, really good. I've been running a campaign that kind of centers on it and making it up as I go along is, is fine and good. But it's uh, it'd be interesting to see what the uh, designers have in mind for uh, how they want to uh, uh, portray that in the game. You have to wonder what happens if it turns out that it's, oh, no, it's completely different from what I was doing. Exactly, and so you make you make uh, small adjustments here and there with that. Yeah, uh, for me, like I love having the idea of uh, people being able to play the the non human characters. You know, the Nizumi, Tengu, uh, Naga. That's all fantastic. For me, it's not a, a big deal because I prefer playing the more uh, like the human samurai kind of characters. But uh, with the, just having the option is exciting, regardless. Well, we'll find out all about it in, I believe, Q1 of 2022. So I'm beginning to wish that some of these things were out for Christmas. I'm having to do my uh, holiday shopping. Unfortunately, not until next year. So I just have to save up until then. I thought we could talk a little bit about Fortune and Strife uh, and uh, talk with our our guests about it, Um, though maybe... uh, Kovar, you want to uh, ask more of these questions if I'm going to answer it as a, as a cast member instead of your, your co-host. Um, but we've been talking, we've just finished our ele- uh, Interesting Environments Elements series, and uh, we just finished talking about deserts. Since we're starting in on that sort of environment for season two, and it just seemed like it was a really good time to talk about where we've been, who we are on Fortune and Strife, and um, maybe some things about where we're going and why people might want to listen. All right. So let's get started at the beginning. How did Fortune and Strife get started? Well, um, Seabass, uh, who's the uh, administrator for uh, the Discord uh, for the Elf of Our Community, kind of came to me and asked if I wanted to audition for uh, the role of running an actual play. He and I had talked off and on for a couple of years about my uh, experiences GMing and running games uh, through L5R for a while, and I was really flattered that he came to me and asked me to uh, participate in this. I hadn't... Uh, caught on or paid attention that there was auditions going on. But uh, yeah, it was, it was quite nice to be asked to uh, audition for this, uh, for this role. And I'm uh, glad in the end I was uh, selected to uh, run the show here. Yeah. Uh, it was just one of those things where the, uh, the application process started. And for me, I wasn't even certain if I wanted to try out for it, but I love listening to actual plays, especially L5R actual plays, regardless of the edition. So I was like, you know what, let me just go ahead and shoot my shot, see what happens. Got into an interview and then got told, uh, I was, I was a part of the cast. So it was, it was real fun and, and a great, uh, great experience. It has been a lot of fun for for me. I saw the auditions come up too, and I auditioned as well, <laughs> and and 
got got the role that way and I've never done anything like that before so I don't even listen to actual plays that much or didn't so it was uh, quite a big uh, new experience for me yeah no it was uh, it was pretty interesting we uh, were kind of uh, selected and put into a couple of different groups uh, with different GMs and players and uh, the GMs were asked to each uh, kind of construct a one shot to uh, play out with uh, uh, your group, it would be recorded and then uh, listened to by Seabass and a couple others to uh, kind of select who they thought had uh, the best chemistry together, uh, best kind of uh, ability to stay uh, on mic and uh, or on character on mic and things like that. And uh, kind of came down to uh, uh, two two teams uh, and uh, it was a little bit of juggling in the end, but uh for uh one show uh which would became fortune and strife was uh, of course myself tyler uh genie uh paul and tiff uh who uh kind of became the the core group of starting out with uh, fortune and strife and we kind of tossed around a couple of ideas and names when we got the good news that we'd been selected and we decided after our one shot that uh we really liked the idea of uh, playing with the idea of fortunes and uh, the mechanics of the game and uh, chance and things like that. And uh, that's kind of where we came up with the name. So what themes are you exploring in Legend of the Five Rings with Fortune and Strife? You already you talked a bit about the some of them, like, you know, literally Fortune and Strife and the game mechanics and things. Um, do you want to talk about that a bit more? Yeah, so we uh, wanted to uh, be able to bring 5th edition to a lot of people that uh, either were uh, brand new to the game or were unsure about moving on from previous editions. You know, I still know some people who are uh, very much 4th uh, edition adherents and were not super interested in moving to uh, a new game that used proprietary dice uh, to handle things and they already had all their fourth edition books and everything like that. And they, they weren't too sure about uh, some of the changes being made. And I really wanted to kind of uh, express what those changes were and how they could be used in telling, you know, great samurai fiction um, and uh, be able to communicate uh, a lot of that through, uh, through play uh, that is both narrative, but also uh, kind of, helping to explain a few things and uh, demonstrate it to the public so that people could have an understanding of, oh, how does this game work when it has, you know, different things like conflict mode versus narration mode uh, and um, the different symbols on the dice, which are, yeah, a, a bit different for people that are used to rolling, uh, you know, your standard math rocks. Um, math rocks have, have their places, I think. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, and you know these, these are still these are still math rocks. You're still counting yeah. things up. It's just a, a slightly slightly different uh, uh, symbology, is all. Yeah, <laughs> I know that uh, you know in terms of themes that I wanted to explore with with my side of the the world, I was just very interested in uh, the aspect of um, dealing with change, dealing with a, a kind of natural disasters and how you take one character and and uh shift them 
through through the aftermath how that impacts the their view of the world um but we have a lot of humor in our show too so we we enjoy and and laugh about that sort of thing a lot too oh yeah being able to uh process uh uh, trauma through role-playing um, through characters that are uh, suffering that uh, as well as on the lighthearted side of things that, you know, Vrokagun doesn't always have to be a very staid. Nobody laughs. Nobody makes any outbursts. Nobody ever acts human uh, kind of things. You know, it's, it's, you know, Japan is also a place of uh, great uh, mirth and uh, things like that. It's not just a very cold stoic samurai all the time. Definitely. We have a lot of, of good interactions with each other and it shows a lot of emotion. Like when when things get serious, they get serious. But when things get lighthearted, we're all laughing uh, within our own discord. Our off topic channel is constantly lighting up when we're playing just with different things that we're, we're saying in between. It's it's basically it's like we're at a table around, you know, sitting around playing with each other and, and making jokes while the game's actually going on. So uh, it, for us, it just feels like a normal game that we're just happen to be recording. Sounds a lot of fun. Okay. So we know a little bit about the podcast as a whole. How about we hear a little bit about the characters of fortune and strife? Who are they? So yeah, I play Akoto Ricci, who is a Kitsu medic, uh, the son of a commander duelist couple. Uh, and he specializes in dueling himself. Uh, he's almost like a little bit of a, a walking uh, dichotomy a little bit just because, you know, he's a medic who is willing to kill people. He is a, you know, just a kind hearted soul, but is willing to, to throw everything down on the line. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, mistake that for weakness, uh, but it, it doesn't help that he gets beat up quite often. <laughs> he's our deathly cinnamon roll. Yes. <laughs> well, it's a cinnamon roll with a little bit of extra spice. Yeah, very spicy. Uh, <laughs> I play Doji Gen. Uh, she is a uh, scientist. Um, she likes bugs. Actually, she's, she's, I modeled her after a uh, kind of the, the Victorian naturalist who would draw all these beautiful pictures of you know, insects or fossils or other other things like that. But uh, that said, she is not at all of a dispassionate scientist. She's just an exceedingly enthusiastic one. Um, so she is very curious and she wants to get involved with everything. She's been, she's a doji courtier from a very doji family. Um, so she has this background in politics and her, um, she's, she's been given, given the task of, uh, being a spy. Um, but she's, she doesn't like that at all. She just wants to draw no, pictures no, no, of no. Just, just being simply observant and then being asked to make detailed reports. That's all. Exactly. <laughs> Just sometimes she's asked to observe things in places where she shouldn't be in the first place. Um, so we have a have a good time good time with her. I really like the character a lot. So she and that brings up another thing that we really have been expressing with the show is uh, the idea of 
the the kind of natural philosophical world uh, of science and uh, reality, but also knowing that that takes place in a world with uh, magic and spirits and, and gods uh, that, uh, you know, could be seen as uh, capricious or um, uh, disinterested or dispassionate at the very least um, is, a, is an interesting side, especially when you include Shugenja or in the case of uh, Paul, a uh, Kitsune uh, masquerading as a human and uh, who's been, playing with the lives of mortals for, for quite some time. Yes, Doji Ken has a bit of a chip on her shoulder about the whole supernatural uh, world because they were very mean to her. Um, but that's... So we don't, have, we don't have everyone from the cast on today. So who, who is left? Who, who, what other characters? Uh, well, uh, we had uh, Paul and Tiff. Paul played uh, Shoshiro Bisho. Uh, who was a Kitsune impersonator mm-hmm. uh, who kind of uh, grew up and got to know these characters and then disappeared from their lives and is brought back to uh, uh, kind of uh, visit with them uh, at a uh, at the funeral of a dear friend at the beginning of the game. And then uh, Tiff uh, was uh, playing uh, Kuni Yui, who was a Kuni warden. And uh, uh, they were, they were, uh, Great cast members, but they have moved on to other projects uh, that they've been working on for quite some time now. Uh, and uh, right now we are down to myself and two players, although we are looking uh, to expand that again and uh, move it back to a, uh, a three or four uh, player game coming into season three. Right. So you've got multiple seasons yeah, we've been doing the show for uh, what about almost a year and a half. I think we started in was it May of 2020, and uh, so we've been going on. We've got about uh, 40 or so episodes uh, released over that time span, which is uh, pretty good. You know, we took some time for the holidays and uh, then uh, had uh, a bit of a cash shakeup as uh, they moved on to other projects. Um, but yeah, we've uh, just released our 10th episode for season two, and uh, we're hoping to continue that uh, story arc and then move into season three with uh, some new cast members. So could you give an overview of season one in that case? Sure. So season one, I kind of call a father's love, and it uh, is, uh, details the story of... Um, how our characters all kind of came to know each other. So I went through this uh, backstory kind of questionnaire that I did with the players uh, kind of during session zero that detailed uh, a time when they were uh, much younger, like five years in the past from our current game um, and how they were sent to um, Shiromatsu as a winter court, as a kind of part of their training to lead up to their Genpuku and things like that. And, the, the different adventures and, and uh, shenanigans that uh, children at court might get up to and why that would kind of bond them all together as, uh, as friends. I think we burned it down. Well, at least this, there was a small portion of it that uh, that did burn, but that fire uh, did help to uh, teach people to work together and who they could rely upon. And, uh, you know, we secretly learned who did set that fire in the beginning because they were careless of Bisho, <clears throat> <laughs> as things uh, usually uh, turn out to be the source of uh, many issues. 
Um, and then after that kind of questionnaire that really kind of got to the backstory and why these uh, people were, were so close together and why they shared a friendship with a uh, NPC Ryuji, uh, Suzumi Ryuji, a, a Sparrow Clan samurai, um, they returned five years later to the Sparrowlands to uh, say goodbye to uh, his wife who just passed in childbirth. And uh, that's kind of the, the start of it. And then there is this conspiracy between uh, the Phoenix and the Sparrow over uh, kind of possession of uh, Ryuji's new child, uh, baby Mariko, uh, who possibly has uh, the gift of an Ishiken. And this is uh, uh, kind of the the main uh, thrust of much of what happens in uh, season one. Uh, then there's you know a bit of a a uh, duel with uh, a champion of uh, the fortunes for uh, you know who shall uh, take care of the child and whatnot. Where uh, Doji Gen is uh, ch- goes and challenges. Uh, Inari, uh, uh, Inari's champion, who happens to be Bisho in disguise as a fox, and it is uh, just a uh, a wild ride of emotion from a night of an ambush by ninja to a duel in the next morning uh, for possession of a child uh, with the gods and the uh, 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 spirits all watching over it. The whole thing it's uh, it's a, it's an interesting run. I, I really enjoyed it. Mistakes were made and, uh, you know, stakes, stakes were made, stakes were raised. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, there was, uh, uh, quite a bit of, uh, of, of drama and a lot of it really powered by the players, which I really enjoyed. You know, there was definitely a, uh, kind of a script that I had written and, uh, we got through, uh, most of it, uh, the way I had written it. And then, uh, because of just the way, uh, the players really, uh, take control and are such strong personalities. Uh, they moved it into places I was uh, was never expecting. I, I, the the whole uh, duel at dawn over a rice field uh, over the uh, uh, Golden Sun Plain was uh, one of my favorite parts of the uh, the first season. It was really good. I really love that part. Uh, okay, so so speaking of of cool things happening in what would you say were the best bits of season one. The, the things that really stand out. Oh, man. Uh, honestly, any of the drama parts for me. Uh, so the, the duel of the rice field was a big one. Um, there, I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but where we thought the story was going to end and it just kept going, that one was a big one for me. Uh, and eventually winding up into the uh, Kitsune Mori. Uh, that was a blast. Just the entire part while we were there was really interesting to see how everything kind of, you know, came together. And, you know, we started tying up those loose ends and uh, had a lot of good character development during that time frame. Uh, so just any of the, the as much as I hate to say, it's like a cheesy kind of part. But all the high points are like the big things for me because they stick out to me so well. For me, I like the smallest moments, some of the best, like um, having dinner and getting drunk and uh, <laughs> talking about, you know, see, seeing Ricci um, talk about his past and some of the funny things there are just ha- have gave me tears in my eyes. They were both funny and sweet. So I, I really just enjoy some of those those little little moments um, very much. 
there there's there's yeah, been I think a lot the, of the 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 bathhouse uh bonding and uh the uh kind of after dinner drinks and uh kind of being being both uh sharing uh you know funny stories that are uh, getting the players to roll out of their seats and then you know some of the 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 moments that then all of a sudden turn a little bit morose as you kind of stare down into your uh into your cups and uh share kind of that pain that's been uh weighing on you for some time and the way that can shift uh conversations i mean they would just feel you know so so real and natural i really enjoyed those parts as well um uh let's see uh i would say that definitely uh the 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 challenge to the gods uh was one of the 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 big uh high points i think when you know, uh, Bishu is, Bishu is uh, appearing in the form of a giant fox to try and save Mariko and get her away from this danger that has befallen them. And uh, Gen and all of her hurt and pain and frustration at uh, the fortunes and, and uh, the, uh, the, the supernatural world that seems to want to do whatever it, uh, it wills with humanity without caring about it. Uh, literally challenges them to a duel and just I was moved as well as uh, taken aback and uh, uh, really surprised. And it, it drove a, a large portion of uh, uh, our game going forward. And that's probably one of my, my, my biggest highlights. All right. So Legend of Five Rings is a, it's got a lot of lore. It's got a lot of background. It's got a lot of challenging things in it a lot of potentially you know troublesome aspects to it it's also very much based on a culture that's kind of different to most of ours i don't think any of us are from 16th century japan um if not even holding out on us that can that can lead to some challenges in any game but you're kind of doing it all publicly so what what have been some of the challenges for you in fortune and strife now for me definitely it's making sure i get that tone correct uh it's because there's that very very fine line between appreciation and appropriation and just making sure that we're on that side of appreciation is really the key point but it's the most difficult point because it's it's very easy to cross that line and not even realize it uh so we have to kind of be very very conscious about that and how we present things and and even some of the storylines we've been like let's just let's roll that back a little bit make sure we're we're on the right side and then and then go at it again um we we've done that several times and i'm 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 always been happy with our results and and how we've we've tried to ensure that we're good on that regard i think the that's a big point uh to know that there is a level of trust in the cast that we can uh try something out and immediately call each other on it and be like uh you know that wasn't quite working for me or i'm not really feeling that that is um either in character or appropriate or hey let's try to uh reframe that and uh we've all kind of helped uh, keep each other honest on those regards um this is especially true moving into uh our second season where we find ourselves in the burning sands where now we're tackling uh, a totally uh, different culture that uh, we're kind of experienced uh, uh, well, or have a lack of experience in, you know, going from, uh, you know, uh, Japan to a uh, more, uh, 
you know, uh, Middle Eastern style of setting with the uh, uh, Alzawara. Mm. Yeah, we for, were talking about that a bit, yeah. Yeah. For, for me, when you're playing a game that works with these extremely emotional uh, storylines, like that are very personal to your character, um, it, there's a vulnerability that comes with that. Um, especially when, you know, there's some inter-party conflict, but you don't want the PCs to be in, con- you know, the players to be in conflict, but you're, you have characters in conflict. That That's that's a challenging aspect because you're, it's, it's hard to make sure you're, you're doing that right. So that was uh, a certain, certainly a challenge of storytelling in, in a world like L5R. Um, the other thing is just trying to keep, we, we try in our play to do uh, real time speech rather than say, you know, so we will say the words our characters say. Not every actual play podcast does that. As far as I can tell, we, you know, but if my character is going to be yelling at your character about something, then you get to hear me yelling at you, of, you know, in, in that I don't just say my character yells. I, I say the words that that Doji Gen would say, or at least I do the best I can. And thinking about that and being witty and coming up with stories and all of that on the fly is really challenging, too. Tyler is really, really good at it. <laughs> But uh, for me, it's hard. I'm just a naturally loud person anyway, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's one thing saying, I'm going to play a really witty, smart character. And then you have to play the 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 witty, smart uh, character. Yes. Exactly. The quip's ready to go. It's easy Uh, when you're a writer. You can, like, spend all day on that one quip and put it in wherever you need to. But no, if you're playing the smart ass at the time, at the table, you've got to come up with it. And that's not easy. No, not at all. But uh, no, you're you were absolutely right earlier talking about how difficult L5R can be. I've had uh, some players that uh, they it was a you know almost too difficult for them to kind of get out of a Western mindset where you have very individual, rugged individualistic characters, you know that uh, that make up a lot of the Western fantasy tropes uh, set down by uh, by by some of our favorite authors. Uh, but uh, L5R, I mean, it requires you to pick up a whole new set of histories and uh, tropes and ideals. And luckily, Japan exports a lot of this culture and wants us to uh, understand samurai films and uh, uh, stories and uh, Chambara, stuff like this. And so luckily, they actively export it. And so the idea of appropriation is is still there and something that you want to look out for. You don't want to make... Uh, cliched caricatures that are not based in any type of uh, realism or anything or uh, demean uh, people. But uh, luckily, you know, whether you're watching a bit of anime or read some manga or even just watch some of the the classic Kurosawa films, there's there's something there for you to grab hold of, I think. And uh, a, that if you can find a player uh, and people that at least uh, – even if some of their first uh, knowledge of uh, kind of uh, Japan uh, or Japanese culture comes from uh, those films or, or from an anime, it's something to start with. And you can then, you know, include the deep, rich lore that L5R has built up over the last, what, almost 30 years now uh, of 
you know, who, who are the different clans? Why do they dislike each other? Oh, and then there's, you know, subfamilies within those uh, uh, clans. And each of those families is made up of vassal families that kind of build up on them. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 there is a lot of lore there. And some players I've just, have just been like, nope, I can't, I don't have it in me to go through an entire, you know, dictionary's worth of, uh, of histories to to learn L5R and other players I have they only they one eat it up. worth. Oh yeah, no, they they <laughs> eat it up and they just they want more, more, more of it. And it's uh uh it could be it could be challenging uh because there is such a collectivist different mindset. You have honor and the 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 aspects of you know society wants you to be and act one way, but you're still human and you're gonna but up against that in, in real and meaningful ways. And one of the things I really love about fifth edition is they really, you know, emphasize that whole idea of Nino and Giri, uh, duty and desire, uh, to, uh, into both, uh, things that are made for, uh, narration, but also mechanics that back up that narration. And that's one of the things I really dig about this edition of L5R is it it helps reinforce a lot of those ideas in ways that we haven't seen before. That's, so another thing you're doing, as well as just running running the game and playing the game, you refer to yourself as a teaching actual play podcast. So would you like to go into a bit more detail about that and what that means? Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that we like to do is when we find ourselves moving into a transition of a scene, we'll we'll let you know the audience know that. We'll talk about, okay, so... While we have been just kind of in narration mode here, this is kind of starting to sound like we have people with, you know, varying uh, uh, ideals or agendas. Let's go ahead and move this into an intrigue. And then we'll talk about some of the basic things about an intrigue. Like, okay, we're going to roll this for initiative. And uh, the way that initiative is going to flow, I'll explain that again to the players. And uh, setting social objectives. We'll talk about that. Uh, you know, very quickly and try to set those up as so the audience can kind of follow along and and know kind of how we're we're moving from one type of scene to the next. Um, it's important also when you're talking about just going into a duel and how that's going to differ from a skirmish in some ways. Uh, the different actions that you can take, uh, we'll go through those. We try to explain our die rolls from uh, what we're going to roll, what ring, and what uh, skill. Uh, why we're rolling those rings and skills, especially the narration can be really important because it's not so much. I always want to roll my best ring for something. You're going to describe what you're going to do. And then kind of you and I, as a player world will uh, negotiate. Uh, well, you know, okay. Richie's coming at it from uh, with a, with a smile and his, uh, and his, uh, you know, uh, boyish uh, good looks and charm. This sounds like it's going to be a water roll for him to, uh, try and uh, get this invitation uh, to, uh, to to somewhere versus, say, using his Earth Ring, which might be his best ring uh, to do something with. There's there's that negotiation that goes on. We try to talk about those, and then we'll talk about our roles, what the results were, kind of what we kept, uh, any advantages or disadvantages we used, uh, and how we spend our opportunities. We try to keep uh, that as uh, part of the process so that people could follow along and understand kind of where we're going and what fifth edition is like. Um, you know, we could have cut all of that, uh, but I feel that uh, it's, it's uh, important to uh, promote the, the, the health of this new edition 
and because it is so different than previous ones, it's it's nice to have a, a podcast that is going to uh, show that process and show the results and talk about how you get from one point to the next um, so that people can really feel what the game is like. Have you had any feedback on that from people? Actually, how, how they are finding it, the actual audience, in terms of the educational aspect? We haven't gotten a whole lot of feedback. Um, I, I, I do have to say that uh, our L5R players are, are decent listeners, but they're not necessarily great on um, providing a lot of feedback. But I do know people who have redirected each other to our show um, and you know, specifically asked for uh, that sort of content in there so that they can understand how to do it. That feels wonderful. I know on multiple occasions I've come into uh, the Discord and uh, someone has uh, said, you know, I'm having a big time struggling with intrigues. And someone else will be like, oh, well, listen to Fortune and Strife. Like, you know, this episode here has a really great introduction to uh, intrigues. And uh, I think that people sharing the podcast, uh, you know, even without us pushing it on them in that way has been uh, really rewarding to see. And, uh, you know, just uh, really makes me feel like we're actually contributing something to uh, the community's uh, ability to understand uh, this new edition uh, by just watching the way that people will share it and use it as examples and, uh, as a way to, that's kind of where we've got the idea that we're kind of a teaching podcast uh, for the game. Mostly it puts a lot of work on Tyler there. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. Uh, but I, I will say uh, the one thing for me that is uh, a big thing is that because the fifth edition of, you know, L5R uses a unique dice set, uh, it almost immediately turns people off. And I, I've talked to a lot of my own friends who are like, oh, unique dice or proprietary dice. Nah, I'm not going to play it. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's like I want to show people that the dice doesn't matter. You, know, you can play it with normal dice if you really wanted to. But the dice don't matter. It's, you know, overall, it's the system and the setting that make the game as wonderful as it is. And so I just want to keep like keep that going as well. And just be like, you know, don't worry about the dice. That's something that comes later. If you like the setting and you like the system, we can work on the dice and we can make sure that it's something that you'd be okay with. But, you know, just don't automatically dismiss it because, oh, no, different dice. <laughs> yeah, it's just hard to when you're teaching podcasts to find that right balance um, between showing showing the mechanics and not showing too much of the mechanics. So that's something we're always kind of trying to balance out. <laughs> the ums and errs and, ooh, let me think about how I want to spin this opportunity. Like we do, we do cut some of that because it is just dead air in a lot of ways. Uh, so we've kind of come up with, uh, you know, we've come up with different uh, uh, protocols to try and uh, do the best uh, of, uh, you know, presenting the die roll, what you're going to be doing kind of, making a, a cut there and then discussing it, talking it through, watching the dice uh, bot go through things uh, and then coming back around when we're done, um, kind of adjudicating all of that stuff and then presenting the results that we got uh, to the uh, listeners in a way that is much, much, much quicker and more direct than the, the waiting and the thinking and the, 
the the tapping of the chin, waiting to to come up with the idea and the spark of how you want to spend something is is uh, is 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 a whole uh, 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 experiment uh, that we've been going through uh, this whole uh, podcast. That sounds like uh, playing for an actual play podcast is quite different to just playing a normal RPG. Are there any other? What is that like? What are the differences? The there there are two things that are majorly different. Uh, one is make sure you don't talk over each other because we're recording it. So obviously, if two people are talking over each other, then nobody's going to hear what's going to go on. And it just becomes a whole mess in that regard. So we definitely have to make sure that someone's complete idea is finished before we move on to the next uh, sentence or the next speaker. Uh, so that's that's definitely the the big thing, especially online when you can't see when someone's actually done talking. You have to listen for it. Uh, that's always a, a tricky part. Uh, the other part for me is uh, not getting distracted because I have a computer in my hands. And so it's really hard to not fall down the rabbit hole that is Wikipedia or pull up Reddit or Discord at the time. It's, it's trying to maintain that focus while in front of a, you know, the in limitless knowledge of humanity in front of me. I think uh, that uh, Tiff set an early precedent with our kind of side chat that we have uh, on the the Discord where we uh, do the recordings of even if you're not in the scene, participate in uh, this side chat of cheering on your your fellow players, posting memes, um, you know, uh, but being an active participant without, you know, you're not talking over anyone else. And, you know, if you're in the scene and you're 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 acting and presenting and you're actively doing things. You're not always seeing what's going on in the side chat. Um, but to come back in when now it's like no longer your time to be on, uh, on as it were, and to see that and to follow along to become a part of it uh, was a, uh, a great precedent that she set for the show and has really kept us uh, focused and present uh, in the events of the game, uh, which is, which is really important. I think, I think Tyler really hit the nail on the head there. Uh, but the other thing is to understand that, you are presenting this uh, for an audience and it's, you know, you can, and we, we've, we've struggled with this and I know I've struggled with this as a GM. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you go a little bit into the weeds and you let people kind of go off and meander off the path a little too much. And then you have to wonder, you know, are we, uh, are we letting that go too far without sticking to uh, you know, the plot of the game and is that a good thing or a bad thing? How much do we want to spend uh, on side uh, quests and tangents, as it were, versus uh, pursuing the, the the main goal of uh, what we're what we're trying to uh, present? Uh, but for the most part, I like to do the show very uh, extemporaneously, um, not 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 entirely improv. Like we'll sometimes we'll we'll scaffold or or telegraph scenes that we'd like to do, but. There's definitely no script writing, uh, which I think is uh, uh, important, and, and at least for our show, is that we we try to keep it to feel like it's a game that uh, you and your friends can play, but uh, still present it in a way that is going to be interesting uh, for a listener uh, of a narrative to to follow. Yeah, I think for for me, in my tabletop play, I do not talk my first person dialogue nearly as much. Um, I don't say what my character is saying nearly as much, but I think it's much more entertaining to a listener to hear the actual words that we're saying. 
Absolutely. Uh, one thing that's really I've prided, uh, I've been really proud of our show for doing is, you know, in is how much time we spend uh, in character, as it were. Like, there's very little time where we spend uh, laughing or joking about things that aren't germane to uh, the game that we're playing at the time. That uh, our focus is to be in our characters, to be uh, focused on the game. And it's it's pretty incredible when we sit down to to play for about four hours and, you know, the 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 three or five of us could, you know, just stay really focused. I mean, we're talking like, you know, 85 percent on uh, uptime, as it were, uh, of being in character and, and presenting things in first person uh, is is pretty incredible to me. And I'm really, uh, really proud of my cast for that. That's- it sounds like a a good challenge, but one that you're you're kind of enjoying. And oh, absolutely, it is it is, but it is definitely very different to know that you are trying to present a narrative uh, to people for entertainment than you know just uh, entertaining uh, yourselves for for the for the for the week. Yeah. Uh, so, are the things you do specifically to try and bring the role play to life, specifically for a podcast? Well, I think uh, Tyler could speak a little bit to that. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I do two things in particular. One is I have to put more emphasis on my voice uh, because uh, if you ever actually get to meet me in person, I talk a lot with my hands and I do a lot of facial emotions, neither of which translates very well over a, uh, you know, an audio format unless I hit the mic with my hand. <laughs> I mean, as, as, as I'm nodding along right now in agreement, no one can really see that. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's definitely making sure I have a lot more emphasis on my voice and uh, specifically for Ricci, because this is the first time I'm doing this more on the player side is, you know, I'm using the same voice, but I'm changing some of my inflections. I'm changing some of my pronunciations when I'm playing as a Kota Ricci. So it is still a different way of me talking, but it's, you know, still my voice, but I'm, I'm changing it a little bit to fit the character. So that kind of gives a little bit more extra emphasis for me on that regard. Um, the, uh, the other thing is uh, I do a lot of the stuff that I normally do in, in person when I do role playing, which is I I am that kind of player that I love to negotiate, but I usually tend to negotiate for the wrong things happening to my characters. Um, uh, for instance, without giving any kind of spoilers, uh, the last session that we got to play, Ricci got a little angry and did a bit of an unmask. And went very uh, ragey in some regards. And so uh, Ricci does not have a great fire ring. But the entire time I'm sitting there going like, can I just use fire ring for this, even though it's bad for me? <laughs> and, you know, Rob's going like, yeah, that's perfect. So I, and I love doing that because, you know, bad things happening to characters make great stories. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to put Ricci through the ringer if I can to get a great story out of it. <laughs> That's something that's extremely difficult for me. Um, I, I want to. I, I have definitely made some non-optimal choices uh, more than once in, in the game, but my role play style is tactician. Um, I don't necessarily min-max, but I want to figure out the best way through a, through a conflict, if that makes sense. Um, as, you know, I, I, I want I want to know I want this technique. I, I think this one will be the best. I'm going to use this and I'm going to do this and this. 
that that's just that's just my role play style at the table. Um, so trying to back off a little bit from that aspect of playing an RPG and get more into the real role player side is actually a challenge to me. I also get anxious um, when I'm doing that uh, and and uh, trying to figure out how to do the role play thing and the tactical game that I'm trying to do the best I can um, at the same time. And uh, that that's just something that's uh, a lot of very hard for me. And sometimes I kind of shut down or um, get myself in a, in a fluster about, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> oh, but you're doing great. Yeah, no. You just, you just need to work out the optimal way of doing your character the wrong way. <laughs> and you know that's kind of the 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 way that i think great stories go i mean uh uh if your character if, if the character in your story always does the right thing and always winds up uh on the right side of things you know it can it can get a bit boring you want to see them get into some trouble and 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 get uh mixed up in some other thing uh, some other mischief uh here and there but uh, as far as how we kind of bring Alpha to life, I know that Tyler has been experimenting with sometimes uh, adding um, uh, thematic music or even sound effects. Uh, you know, from from wind to sword uh, sounds here and there. We've 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 dabbled in it. You'll hear it uh, a couple of different places. Uh, we don't uh, uh, rely on it heavily, but it's something that we've uh, experimented with for really uh, kind of important scenes and. Uh, I really like the way that it uh, feels because it is something we use uh, so sparingly that when it uh, kind of shows up, it's uh, it's it's really nice to add a little bit of that soundscape to uh, some of the events that we've uh, uh, portrayed. And that's something I've done in in person as I GM is I'll have like a soundboard up or like maybe a musical playlist up that kind of gets a little bit more immersive. Uh, for instance, if I'm doing like a, a sci-fi horror game, I'll have the Alien soundtrack up playing just very slightly so you can just barely hear it. But it does set a little bit of the mood. Or in the case of some of my other like uh, bigger wartime kind of games that I play, I'll have like the, the backgrounds of like swords clashing and people yelling kind of deal. Uh, it's something I really enjoy, and it's something I, I've been slowly trying to integrate more into the the episodes and seeing how much I like it and how intrusive it would be getting, especially for, a again, a purely audio kind of uh, focus uh, show. And then for myself, um, I have a uh, background in uh, Japanese language and culture studies, and so uh, you know different classes that I've taken on uh, Japanese art and architecture – uh, help inform a lot of the ways that I can describe and communicate uh, the uh, areas that our players are inhabiting. Uh, even I uh, did a, um, I was at a VR cafe with my nephew a year or so ago, and we were able to do a uh, kind of VR virtual tour of a uh, one of the major temples. And unfortunately, I'm forgetting the, the name of it. I think it's Hananji, uh, but I'm uh, spacing on it right now. But we got to uh, walk, uh, you know, amongst this uh, incredibly beautiful uh, temple grounds in virtual reality, where somebody had gone through and uh, had uh, uh, mapped the whole thing in a uh, three-dimensional photosphere, and uh, it was it was quite moving. But it's also given me the ability to uh, talk and describe 
about, you know, some of the smaller, more intimate areas within a shrine that you'll find as I wandered through. I must have spent almost two hours wandering the grounds of that temple in virtual reality. It was uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it was it was the next best thing to to actually being there. It was uh, pretty incredible. But the top, to be able to talk about the views and uh, the way that the the statues are covered in moss uh, to uh, the brightly colored uh, uh, Tory arches and even just the uh, uh, the mouth and hand washing stations, being able to to see what those are like. Um, uh, and it, again, next best thing to being there in person was uh, 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 pretty amazing to help convey the. Uh, the visuals and a way for me to uh, articulate it and give it uh, life with words. Um, and then we spend a lot of time also uh, sharing uh, articles and pictures with each other. So when we're talking about the different fashions that we're interested in, you know, we will go through, uh, uh, you know, whole uh, uh, lists of uh, uh, photos and, and sending each other different shots and, and pointing out the different fabrics that we're interested in and, finding different sites that talk about like what does different fabric and different uh, uh, colors mean and the language of flowers and uh, all of uh, these uh, wonderful uh, bits that, uh, you know, uh, Japan uh, actively is uh, exporting as its culture and uh, wants us to understand and, and follow along and share with them. And uh, this is just another way to, uh, to do that. So, so, you're now heading to season two of Fortune Strife. Where is the campaign heading right now? Well, right now we are in uh, the Burning Sands. So we're in the lands of uh, the Caliph of the uh, Kamaris Caliphate uh, in the city of uh, Books, El Zawara, uh, and uh, where the uh, Sultan resides there. Again, the Sultan and the Caliph, one and the same. Um, our characters have um, been separated from uh, Bisho and Yui by a, a magical event that transpired in the uh, Kitsune Mori that was the, the big climax of season one. And uh, they uh, found themselves having to walk through the desert in a sandstorm before being picked up by a, a local emir and have been kind of nursed back to health and are starting to just dip their 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 toes into uh the new local court politics and uh realizing that uh the more things change the more they kind of stay the same the a, a foreign court is uh, still a uh, a dangerous uh, uh place to be we're taking a lot of inspiration from the uh book into the burning sands by uh Daniel Lovett Clark uh his so in old 5R, the burning sands were kind of this proto Egyptian kind of a thing. Um, it, it, it was several things, it was several things, not not all of them wholesome, but we're using we're, we're using the in into the burning sands unicorn novella as the kind of center of this culture, though these events I think happened before. Um, before the events of that. Yeah. The events of our story would take place about a year before that novella would take place. But, uh, so it's, it's still pretty close to what you'll read in there. Uh, but, uh, uh, it will be about a year before, uh, those events. Right. So we just did a, an episode on two episodes actually on 
desert environments as part of our interesting environment series. But obviously, uh, the campaign has already gone into the desert. Um, how were you finding it, and how did you use that environment in the game? Uh, environmental effects are one of those things that can be uh, somewhat difficult to, you know, uh, always uh, present in uh, a way as a challenge for for role playing games. Right? There's so many stats for what uh, a sword or even just a, a stick in the hand will do when you swing it at somebody. It's, it's much different when you're t- worrying about uh, what is, uh, you know, thirst and exhaustion going to look like. And I really enjoy the, uh, the different conditions that L5R has, you know, that uh, one thing is generally between each scene, you're able to reset your uh, strife and your fatigue to about at least half of what it would normally be. But, when you get exhausted, uh, condition on you, the, you know, that's no longer the case. So as your strife goes up and up and up, it's difficult to get back down. Or in the case of Ricci, when your fatigue starts to go up, you might wind up with a, uh, suffering a crit as you are trying to struggle against the whipping, uh, you know, uh, scoring, uh, sands of a, of a sandstorm. And they build up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's difficult to get rid of it when, you haven't had any food or water or sleep for uh, several days before uh, uh, you finally uh, uh, go down to exhaustion. Uh, it's depicting depicting it is uh, definitely um, you want to have it be daunting and treacherous, uh, but you don't want it to be impossible. So you know you don't just set impossibly high TNs. Uh, you set uh, target numbers and. Uh, use conditions in ways that uh, will say, all right, so uh, meet X or suffer Y is a good thing. Using shortfall uh, for when they do fail those checks is important uh, to uh, add consequence uh, to to not quite making it or uh, allowing them to uh, fail forward, as it were, so succeed, but succeed with cost if you didn't make the roll all the way um, uh, by using shortfall, which is something that I wish they would have uh, gone into a little bit more. They they kind of hint at it in uh, the core book, but they they don't really go all the way to say uh, success with cost would be a good way to imp- uh, implement shortfall. Um, but uh, so I've I've played with a little bit of those ideas from other games for uh, kind of some of the stuff that we do in the desert. Um, um, but it's it's mostly just the the piling up of. Um, of the costs and the expenditures and then not being able to easily uh, uh, sh- uh, uh, shrug them off is uh, one of the things that I think really helped um, communicate the danger that the players were in uh, when they were uh, uh, trying to, to navigate that uh, very foreign environment. Especially strife. That's the, I think having that um, emotional bar you know, health bar, if you will, um, works really well when you're talking about people who are under, you know, significant environmental stress uh, as well. Uh, so I think that that one in particular, because it's easy just to rattle down fatigue. Because once you become compromised, you can no longer keep dice that show strife symbols on them. And so it really represents the idea of that you're exhausted, you're dehydrated, you're just fumbling everything, you can't concentrate and uh, you are just going to struggle to try and even meet a TN2 um, uh, check hick. Even a TN1 check can be difficult sometimes when you just 
cannot keep any dice with those uh, with those strife symbols on. So together with the challenge of the environment, you got the challenge of a whole different cultural landscape to deal with. And we we briefly touched on this about how to do this well. So do you want to expand on how you are trying to face that challenge of trying to essentially portray not just one culture and not just two cultures, but those two cultures interacting? So even from the beginning of the show, we've had a disclaimer talking about uh, the different issues that we're going to be uh, uh, challenging for listeners of our show. So we have one character who's, uh, you know, been very traumatized by the tsunami that struck the uh, the crane lands. And uh, even they have an NPC attendant, Sueno, who has uh, been scarred by the event and is uh, missing an eye. Uh, so we've we've tried to talk about that. You know, we are dealing with uh, trauma, uh, with uh, death. That uh, this is a a game of samurai fiction, and that uh, you know all, all of the different uh, tropes and ideas of that uh, genre can come up, and that's going to include you know violence and um, uh, uh, you know challenging uh, subject matter. And so we try to cover that in a disclaimer at the front of our episodes. Moving into season two, knowing that we are going to be dealing not just with Japan, but with a uh, Middle Eastern setting that is going to include uh, stuff like uh, the different uh, dynastic caliphates that have existed in that area for some time. Uh, but also we're going to deal with uh, some of like Eastern Roman Empire stuff. We're going to deal with some um, uh, Saharan and sub-Saharan African uh, cultures as well, because the caliphate is such a large institution and has uh, domain over a, a wide grow, grow, uh, part of uh, that end of the world. But also it's a it's a cultural uh, melting pot. It, it definitely pulls uh, a lot of, uh, how should we say, uh, business and commerce and uh, political interest from uh, the surrounding areas. And so we're going to have, uh, you know, uh, a lot of influences from uh, a couple of different uh, cultures. And uh, that can be really difficult, right? Like we want to be able to present uh, what would a non-colonized African uh, trade group look like in the uh, caliphate? What would uh, kind of a... Uh, fall of the Yodatai, uh remnant of like the Eastern Roman Empire kind of version of the Yodatai that I've called the Imperial Remnant that uh, is going to exist there, and what kind of characters would that create? Um, but uh, it's uh, it's it's difficult because these are again a lot of cultures that some of us may be interested in and have read about, but again we're not you know uh, 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 just as we're not Japanese, we're also not. Uh, uh, Arab or Byzantine or, or, or African uh, to to really understand and be a total part of those cultures. So we put out a further disclaimer saying, you know, hey, we are going to be uh, experimenting with a change of location and that uh, we hope to be getting it right. We have uh, talked with um, the author of uh, End of the Burning Sands and to a player of L5R who is a uh, you know practices the, the the religion of Islam. That's the 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 I think the better way to say it. And how impressed they were with uh, that book. And so that's really been our uh, touchstone uh, for where to find it. But uh, I think in the same way that I rely on my players and the the, the trust and support uh, and the love of the game that we have here, that 
we are also trusting our audience to follow along with us and to let us know if we get things right or wrong. If we get it wrong, we will definitely understand that we are not coming at it with uh, any type of uh, malice or bias or agenda that uh, if we if we get something wrong, it is an honest mistake and uh, we would very quickly make any adjustments that uh, our uh, listener base uh, would like to make in this regard. And we kind of feel that that's, you know, more uh, important uh, with such a, uh, well, it's a, it's a sensitive topic. And we have had a world over the last 20 years that has had a very complicated uh, relationship between uh, Islam and uh, uh, the West. And that's, uh, that's a difficult thing to, uh, uh, to reconcile. Uh, but it's something that I think we all are, cognizant of and we respect these cultures we're very interested in these cultures uh so it's uh not something that any of us uh are uh interested in in uh doing a disservice to and so i think just being very conscious of that and being honestly open and interested and trying to find those uh uh cultural uh uh, cultural touchstones without it being falling into Orientalism of a thousand and one Arabian nights kind of thing. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to escape all of those tropes, but you definitely don't want to uh, fall into uh, the, the worst parts of Orientalism. That's for sure. That is something that we want to avoid uh, whether we were in the burning sands or just in Japan, right? These are uh, definitely the things we don't want to do. We definitely, like uh, Tyler said, we want to appreciate, not appropriate. Yeah. And, uh, one of the problems with L5R, uh, Rokugan as a setting, is how isolated it it, wa- it was, it is, uh, uh, described. Um, in Japan, uh, obviously, during the Edo, under the specific um, circumstances uh, related to the Tokugawa shogunate, uh, the society was extremely enclosed. But they've brought that into Rokugan under different circumstances than it occurred in Japan. And that's somewhat problematic then when you take that into the role-playing game, because um, whether it's in L5R or in any Asian fiction, because it makes every Asian person, it's a stereotype, seem um, like they're closed off and not open to outsider cultures and, you know, um, xenophobic. And that, you know, we have a lot of historical records from people who were samurai, who were visiting Europe, who were visiting um, other other societies pre-Togawa, which, so we can see that, you know, this... The people of Japan, the samurai of Japan, were not um, completely closed off from the outside world. That was something that was enforced on them with the Tokugawa. And so not every Asian person, certainly not our characters, are going to be, um, you know, other other cultures bad, my culture good, uh, xenophobia kind of thing. You know, when you look at different eras of L5, sorry, of, uh, of uh, Japan, uh, you had uh, a big fixation on 
uh, cultures in China and in India that they they looked up to and wanted to emulate in a lot of ways. And it wasn't until much later. I mean, that was like uh, the kind of high end period of uh, Japan. But you're right. It's not till many hundreds of years later that we get to the Tokugawa shogunate and the the isolationist policies. The idea that yeah, that uh, L5R should be closed off for like you know hundreds of years is is unfortunate. But that's that's one of the things that you kind of get with this thousand year history of Rokugan, and it's um, it'll borrow liberally from very early uh, Japan to uh, some of the intermediate shogunates all the way up to uh, almost the Meiji restoration. And so, and they'll, they'll, they'll pick and choose and and throw in different styles of art and clothing and even ideals that can, can seem really weird to people who study Japanese history. Uh, but it's, it's making up the, you know, the, the, the fictional world we're in because different writers and different artists have uh, grabbed different, uh, materials to to kind of grab their inspiration from and it sometimes makes for uh some some weirdness but uh it's uh uh it's the game that we have and uh luckily they've done a lot with the new edition since uh fantasy flight took over one thing that i find really interesting that they've done with that is where we talked about how the burning sands was kind of this you know egyptian uh styling beforehand with the Sinpet Empire in old uh, 5R. In the new edition, they've decided they've slightly renamed it to the Rinpet, and they were the people who uh, the caliphate uh, kind of overthrew, and uh, they were the people who were enslaving people and spirits beforehand. Um, and from there, we have now have the Quarmist uh, Caliphate, which has grown from the Rinpet Empire. And so I like that the... Even in L5R, we're going to use uh, our weird past to inform our much better present and hopefully uh, move things into a uh, less problematic future. Right. So finally, thanks for, thanks for all the discussion we've had so far. It's been really, really great. And I hope a lot of our listeners will go and head over to your show and, and grab a listen. But before we rush off, is there anything you would like Alice is to know about the show coming up for the future. Well, I think the the big thing to go into is uh, something we mentioned earlier on, but I kind of want to call it back out, is that uh, uh, here very soon uh, we are planning on opening up applications for joining us uh, on the show. Uh, so just keep an eye out for that on the L5R Discord, on our Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, everything. Just keep an eye out for when we post those applications up and uh Get that in into us. We'd love to play with you. Um, yeah, no, thanks for having us. Uh, we are uh, really happy that uh, some of you might uh, come over and be uh, new listeners and fans of the show. And yeah, please uh, feel free to uh, send us an application. Let us know why you'd like to play with us, what it is about L5R that you find interesting, what it is about the show that uh, is compelling and makes you want to uh, try out, even if it's just that uh, – you know, you have a big love for L5R and you want to uh, share with other people. I mean, that's kind of where uh, the, the, uh, all of us kind of started from and uh, where we want to go from here. And as a note, as it comes to experience, it's like, oh, I've never played an actual play or I've never recorded myself before. Uh, neither did I before this. So please feel free. Come on over. D- doesn't matter. <laughs> Tiff was brand new to L5R, uh, had only uh, been kind of playing uh, for it for less than a year before she joined the cast and was fantastic. 
So, uh, yeah, don't worry about uh, experience or in-depth knowledge. Uh, you know, uh, Jeannie and I both have pretty much master's degrees in Rokugani history. We can we can help walk you through things. Uh, so uh, no no problems there. As long as you have an interest and uh, want to uh, learn more about this uh, interesting new setting and uh, uh, ways to play around in it, uh, don't worry, we will be returning to Rokugan uh, soon when they make their way uh, uh, back across the burning sands into uh, along the Unicorn Road. But uh, yeah, that'll have to happen uh, once they're done with uh, wintering over in the Caliphate. The one thing I did want to talk about, or uh, want to mention for the future, is that we are starting in our uh, most recent episode, and in the next little bit, uh, our next few episodes, is we're going to be using some of the Influence game, which is uh, a homebrew set of rules available on the Winter Garden of the Kikita website for handling uh, the mechanics of uh, adventuring and dealing with court, um, albeit in a Camarist court. Um, so if you are interested in seeing the influence game rules played out uh, in RPG, well, you can listen to Fortune and Strife in this season too, and and we'll we'll be testing them out and seeing how they go. Yeah, so far they've been really interesting new ways of uh, adding uh, mechanics to narrative and narrative to mechanics. And that's always good when you can have one reinforce the other into a really good positive feedback loop. And uh, it's been really interesting to give them a shot uh, here for this uh, game. And uh, lastly, I'd like to say if... Uh, you'd like to support uh, any of our efforts, whether it be uh, here for the RPG podcast or our show uh, Fortune and Strife. There is a Court Games uh, Patreon, so please, if you would like to support us, that is uh, one of the best and most direct ways uh, to do so. We also have uh, some merchandise that you could find. I believe we have a link on our website at courtgamespod.com, uh, where you can find that on LootCat. Well, thank you guys for coming on our show. We really, uh, we really appreciate it. Um, hopefully, some listeners will be able to check it out. Um, we also wanted to thank our friends at D Twenty Radio, and uh, also our Patreons. We share a Patreon between the Court Games RPG Podcast and uh, Fortune and Strife. So, if you support there, it helps support us both, which we really appreciate. Yeah, this uh, this podcast and uh, our show uh, wouldn't exist without the community, and uh, we really depend on you for uh, that support. So uh, if you can, we understand that uh, we're going into the holidays and money is tight, but uh, if you can, uh, spare uh, even just a couple of bucks uh, here and there, or maybe after the holidays, we'd really appreciate it. Online, you can find us at our website at courtgamespod.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash court games, which is also the Patreon for Fortune and Strife. Though you can find Fortune and Strife at both of those locations. And on Twitter, I believe Fortune and Strife is twitter.com slash uh, L5RFNS. L5RFNS. Okay. But that is it for us this week. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, as always, Kovar. Uh, this is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korva, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.
www.d20radio.com.